Uh, good afternoon, Mosaic. Um, as always, it's a privilege for me to be here um, to be able to preach to you God's Word. Um, usually, we're accustomed to preaching through a series together. We're usually the last series that we um, that we went over was uh, we talked about prayer um, through the Lord's through the Lord's prayer. Today, uh, as Kevin mentioned, last week was a single sermon. Um, it was a, we're, we're all just preaching our own open topic. We're preaching on what we feel like the Lord um, lays on our heart. Today, I want to talk about knowing God, knowing God. I want to talk to you about a few attributes of God. Um, and to begin, I want to read to you uh, how a writer by the name of J.I. Packer, how he opens up his book. He quotes a preacher who says these words. It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose this idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of this great God whom he calls Father. There is something, here it is, there is something exceedingly improving to the mind in a contemplation of the divinity. It is a subject so vast that all our thoughts are lost in its immensity, so deep that our pride is drowned in its infinity. The study of God, my friends, is a great study. I pray that you, as a Christian, study God. And I pray that this sermon will only whet your appetite to the person of God, to the work of God, to his greatness, and to his majesty. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, for who you are. I want to take this time and ask if you would please provide for us, Lord, that you will draw us to yourself, Lord. For we can't do it ourselves. We need your help. And so I ask God that if, you, if it pleases you, Lord, to speak through me and that you would bless your people and not only speak through me, speak to me. Help us all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The main passage that we're going we're gonna to look at is Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. 
but we're not going to stay on this passage. It's just something that we're going to look at real quick, and then we're going to highlight some attributes of God. You won't be able to read this from here, I realize, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I remember asking um, some people before, I've asked people the question, is it okay to boast? Is it right? Is it proper for us to boast? Um, you know, many of us, um, we know that person that loves to brag about themselves, right? That person who always want to talk about his new sneakers, that person who always want to come with his new car, with his new vehicle, he just wants to show you, hey guys, look, you see this car? Yeah, I bought it, that's mine. You know, that person loves, you, you, we all know that person. If you don't know that person, maybe you're that person. But we all, um, we all know that person that loves to boast. But sometimes, I mean, their little car looks, all of a sudden it looks really small, right? In the light of a Ferrari, when a Ferrari passes by. I'm like, oh, look at that, Can you, you can't do that. And all of a sudden, his, his pride is completely diminished, his pride is hurt, because he realizes that he can't afford the car that's bigger, right, and better. Is it okay to boast? Is it okay for us to take pride in the things that we have and then always flaunt it, to, flaunt it um, and, and want it, we should show it to everybody and show people, hey, look, this is what I have? You see, the issue is not boasting. Boasting is never the issue. The issue is what you're boasting in. This passage right here does not tell us not to boast. It says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows the Lord. Can you boast in God? Can you say, wow, when I'm looking at all my cars, when I'm looking at all my clothes, when I'm looking at all my wisdom, it looks so small compared to this great God. You see, my friends, in the face of this great God, we have no reason to boast. In the face of this great God, we have every reason to take much more delight in him than in us. I pray that you will begin your journey of knowing God. Yes, we know him through Jesus Christ. Yes, we know him because we have placed our faith in him through his son. But my prayer is that you and I will begin our own journey in our pursuit of the knowledge of God. In our pursuit of the knowledge of God. Before we begin, I just want to say something. The word awesome, when I say something is awesome, that word is thrown around a lot these days. Um, but it's a word that I believe has evolved from its meaning over the past maybe century or so. If you were to speak to an average teenager right now, if you could speak to them and you say, what does awesome mean to you? Perhaps they'll say, awesome is something cool. Awesome is something that makes me feel good. When I'm having fun, it's awesome. 
right? But it's not the definition that many people have used when they said awesome. Awesome was something that takes your breath away. Awesome is, is, is when you are in awe of something. When all of a sudden, nothing else in the room matters in the presence of this thing called awesome. Awesome engulfs you in its presence to such a degree that you feel insignificant and small in its presence. Friends, when we talk about God, this is the kind of God that I want to talk about. I want to speak of a God who is awesome in the old sense of the word. And to that end, let's study a few attributes of God. I pray that it will only whet your appetite as we study these few attributes. The first attribute I want to talk about is something called the independence of God or the self-existence of God. Or for those of you who are more inclined to theology, the aseity of God. Independence is a word that we'll just use over here. Independence of God. The independence of God. What does it mean that God is independent? For God to be independent, it just means this, that God does not need us or anything else in all of creation. God does not need us to survive. God does not need us for his joy. God does not need us. Let's look at some passages in scripture that talk about that. Exodus um, chapter 3, verse 14, uh, when Moses um, goes and before he goes to the people of, of Israel, and he, said, God, he, says, he says to the Lord, he says, God, who should I tell them that you are? God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. God describes himself in this passage as one who simply exists. The great I am. His existence is not contingent upon anything else for its being. He simply is. He simply exists. Similarly, in Acts chapter 17, verse 25, Paul the apostle could say, he says that this God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life to everyone, life and breath and everything else. What he says essentially is that God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Okay? Paul makes an important claim in this passage. God cannot be served by human hands as if he needed something. Human hands cannot bring something to God that he needs that he already does not have. This does not mean, friends, that we cannot bring joy to God's heart. I'm not saying that. This does not mean that we cannot glorify God. I am not saying that. But I want to ask you a question. When God created you, why did he create you? You might ask. Why did God create me? Why did God create you? Many of us would answer properly, rightly, 
God created us for his glory. But guess what? God did not create us, create us because he needed glory. God created us for his glory, right. But God did not create us because he needed glory. I want to draw your attention to a passage um, found in the book of John. John, I believe I should have it up there. Um, if I don't. Okay, John chapter 17, verse 5. This is what Jesus Christ says. Listen. He's, speaking, he's praying to the Father right now. He said, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Did you hear that? Jesus is praying that, that the Father would glorify the Son, that they would glorify one another the same way that they glorified one another before the creation of the world, which means to tell me that before the world was created, God the Father was already glorified by God the Son, and God the Son was already glorified by God the Father. They existed in the Trinity, and they glorified one another. They loved one another in complete harmony, which means to tell me that you and I cannot glorify him in a sense that we're bringing something to him that he never had before. God had always been glorified. He's always been glorified. So when we glorify God, we're not giving God something that he doesn't have. It's only, we're only acknowledging the thing that God already is. You're only recognizing what the angels has already recognized thousands of years ago. You're only recognizing what Jesus Christ has recognized millions and billions and trillions and eternal years ago. God is independent. Yet, yet, I don't want you to run home and say, oh, God does not need me, and think, oh, I, I should not do anything for God then. Because God is glorified by you truly. God chooses to be glorified through you. Through his son, Jesus Christ, we can actually bring him praise. It's not that we're giving God something that he doesn't have. No, I'm not saying that. But God takes joy in the praise of his people. Yes, he does. The Bible says that God says, I will delight over you. I will sing over you. That is a God who sings, who is happy, who rejoices over his people. Even though God is independent and he does not need you, God is pleased. He is pleased to glorify himself through you. That's just a brief talk about the independence of God. Let's consider another thing. The eternity of God. The eternity of God. What is the eternity of God? What is that? The eternity of God means this. God has no beginning, 
He has no end nor any succession of moments in his own being, and he sees all time equally vividly. I'm adopting this definition from um, Dr. Wayne Grudem from his book, Systematic Theology. He says, God has no beginning, no end, or succession of moments, which we probably won't have time to talk about, but in his own being, um, and he sees all time equally vividly. What do I mean by that? What, what does that mean? Um, Psalm chapter 90, verse two. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2, if you read this with me, God, though, the psalmist says this. He says, hear what he says, beautiful. He says, before the mountains were brought forth, <laughs> before the mountains were brought, brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. When the psalmist says everlasting to everlasting, the first everlasting refers to his eternity past. The second everlasting is talking about his eter eternity future, which means from eternity past to eternity future, you are God. God is eternal. God has no beginning. He has no ending. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is before all things. He is after all things. He preceded even time. You and I cannot conceptualize a world without time. We only function through time. God even preceded time. He even created time. See, God does not have to remember like you and I have to remember. You see, part of our definition says that he sees all things equally vividly. See, all eternity past lies vividly before him. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. It's almost like a thousand years was yesterday to him. He sees that so vividly. I have a chart. I don't know if you'll be able to see this. I know... That, okay, it looks like it's getting this big. Um, but if you could picture this, this is the same book that I, put, that, I, that I took the graph from. But if you picture God over here, and I don't know if you can see, and you picture on the, all the way on the left side, that's creation. And you find, see all the way on the right side, that's judgment. In between you see life of Christ, you see 1994. What you see is that God is over here, and he sees time. He can see creation right now. He sees all time equally vividly. He sees the final judgment over there. It's not like God has to remember to see creation. God sees all time equally vividly. The same way that I see you right now, God sees creation. That's the same way God sees 1994 and 2016. That's the same way God sees the future. God sees all time equally vividly. Not, the creation is not less vivid to him. He sees that as equally vividly as he sees the present. This is the God that we serve. Friends, if you are here today and you have not trusted Christ, if you are here today and you've sinned against God, and you believe that your unconfessed sin was forgotten, my friend, God's Memory does not fade away like yours. Though you might forget your sins, God's memory stays still. And the only way in which God will wash that completely from his mind is through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And in the same way that God will see your sins, he will see that judgment that was had on Jesus Christ, and he will see your sins, and he will say, that sin is, that sin is paid for through my son, Jesus Christ. Trust him. See, that's, this is the God that we serve. This is the majestic God that we serve. This is why God could be trusted. God knows all things in the future. He, he sees all things. That's why his word could be trusted. Anything that his word says, it actually comes to pass. I was studying um, earlier um, the book of Exodus. Just the first chapter alone, how much is a fulfilled prophecy of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15, how God says, one day my, my people are going to be held in captivity for 400 years. You see that happen right there in Exodus. And everything that God says in his word that's going to happen. Everything about the final judgment. You think God is making this up? This is actually going to come about. From our vantage point, we cannot see the future, but from God's vantage point, he already sees judgment. God sees all time equally vividly. Consider with me also the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is, omnis- is, is infinite. Another word that you can call it is omniscient. God is omniscient, meaning that he is, his, his knowledge is unlimited. His knowledge is infinite. Okay? There is no information hidden from God. You with me? There is no knowledge hidden from God, whether past, present, or future. And God knows both the actual and possible. I'm going to rip, I'm going to explain everything, I'm going to explain every word that I just used. I just said this, that God's knowledge is infinite. There's no information hidden from him, whether past, present, or future. And he knows both the actual, and what did I say? And the possible. If you could just um, look at this passage. I'm trying to... Okay. First John chapter 3, verse 20. I wanted to make sure that it was uh, in line with my... 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says, For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Let's just use that word itself, just the last few uh, words. It says that he knows everything. He knows everything. We're dealing with a God whose knowledge is not limited. We're dealing with a God who knows it all. This, therefore, whenever we come to God and we confess our sins, we're not telling God something new that he did not know about ourselves. You're not surprising God. You're not, God's not shocked by it. 
You see, repentance, all repentance is, is only, it's only agreement with God. That's what repentance means. It's only agreeing with God about yourself already. You see, God knows everything. He knows who you are. He knows your name. The Bible says he knows even how much, how much, how much hair that you have on your hair, hair. He numbers it all. He numbers the stars. He knows it all, my friends. He knows the route that I took to get here. He knows, um, he knows how many red lights I encountered. He knew how many people are in the neighborhood. He knows how many people are in Brooklyn alone and how many people are in the United States. He knows it all. He knows it all. He knows the past. He knows up to this time how many people lived on earth. My God is awesome, right? God knows it all. He knows it all. And he knows the present, my friends. And as we had mentioned, you remember how we said he sees all time equally, vividly. God knows the future, too. The future is not hidden from God as it is hidden from us. God knows it all. He is, infinitely, he is infinitely knowledgeable. There is nothing that you and I can hide from God. You and I, we are so limited, my friends. We're so limited. But my God knows it all. Psalm 139 verse 4 says, Before a word is on my, on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. <laughs> Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. Before I said what I just said just now, God knew it. Psalm 147 says, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. God names each star. Oh, there's Betty, there's Ralph, there's Exer. God knows them all. They all look alike to me, but God knows them all. You could try to take Betty over here and put her over there. You could try to, try to mix it up and say, hey, God, do you know which one is which? God knows them all by names. Great is our God and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. His understanding is beyond all measure. His understanding is beyond all measure. Hey, God, let me measure your understanding. It's beyond that. God knows, I said, but he doesn't only know the actual, which means he knows the things that has happened, right? The actual is the things that happened and the things that are happening and the things that will happen. Those are the actual things that happened. But God doesn't only know the actual, he knows the possible as well. What do I mean by that? You see, I took, I took the, the bus today. God would have known what would have happened if I had taken the train. Maybe I would have met someone and shared the gospel with them, and maybe that person would have been saved, and that person would have been an evangelist, and then him becoming an evangelist would have converted one other person, and then, and then that person would marry my um, great grandchildren, Charles, whatever. Um, but like, like God, God even, not only does he know the actual, what actually happened, because I came by, 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 by um, car, he knows the possible, what would have happened if God, he took that left instead of taking that right. 
And, and let's look at a passage that deals exactly with that. Um, look with me to, okay, Luke chapter 10. You won't be able to see this. Verses 13 to 16. I'm just going to read this. If you could follow along the Bibles. Jesus says these words. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. Watch, watch what he says. Jesus says, woe to you. Okay? Why does he say woe to you? Because Tyre and Sidon, that city was destroyed by God in the Old Testament, right? They, done, they did evil before God's sight. But God's knowledge is so exhaustive, he doesn't only know the actual, he knows the possible. God's knowledge knows if Jesus Christ over here in this timeline were to go back entire inside of in this timeline, they would have repented a long time ago. God does not only know the actual, what actually happens, he knows the possible, what possibly can happen. Which means this, my friends, God can be trusted. If God tells you not to go somewhere, then he can be trusted. If God tells you not to do this or not to do that, God can be trusted. God is operating out of the infinite knowledge that he has. And you in your limited knowledge think you, can, think you know better? No, my friend. Our God knows much more than you. Let's consider also the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Okay. The difference between knowledge and wisdom. I think many of us already know this. Knowledge is what God already knows, right? He knows these things. But wisdom has to do with choices, right? Wisdom is the fact that God chooses the best goals, right? God doesn't only know everything, but he chooses the best goals. He chooses the best, okay? And he chooses not only the best, but he also chooses the best way to get there. What do I mean by that? Well, let me see if I can give an example. Let me see if I can give an example. I love amusement parks. I just do. I don't know why. I love roller coaster rides. Um, I was talking to someone, um, one of my good friends. Her husband and I were having a conversation about um, amusement parks. He's like, oh, man, if you love amusement parks, Woodley, you should check out this place. It's called Cedar Point. How many people have heard of Cedar Point, by the way? Is it good? Okay, I'm going to check it out. All right. I'm going to check out Cedar Point. I want to. And so he was telling me about it. He was like, man, this place is awesome. If you really like roller coaster rides, I mean, it has the biggest, it has the best, it has the fastest roller coaster rides ever. So he's telling me about the best, right? God knows the best. 
God chooses the best, right? But imagine he explained to me not only um, the, the best roller coaster ride, the best um, amusement park, but he tells me the best route to get there. He's like, okay, Woodley, you probably don't want to you probably don't want to go by car. It's going to take you forever to get there. You probably want to hop on the plane, and then perhaps after that, you want to rent a car, and then you want to uh, make sure after you, you, after you leave the airport, make the first left. You know, make sure that you take this particular route. Okay? So not only he told me about the best Cedar Point, but he tells me about the best way to get there. You see, God chooses the best in his wisdom. In the wisdom of God, he chooses the best, Jesus Christ, right? He chooses the best, our sanctification. He chooses the best, heaven. God chooses the best for us, but not only does he choose the best, he chooses the best route to get there. Which, which means to tell me, my friends, if you are suffering, if you are in pain right now, if you're going through trials, God chose the best route for you to be sanctified. You are not in God's plan B. You might be suffering right now, and you might be asking God why, but you must hold it in your head that my God is wise. And not only is God choosing the best for me, but he is choosing the best route for me to get there. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that it's going to work into your patience and perseverance. My friends, God is wise. God could be trusted. No matter where you are right now, no matter what situation you find yourself in, even if it's a result of your sin, you know, but Woodley, it was my fault. I sinned. That's why I'm here. Even over that, my friend, God is wise. And God knows what he's doing for each individual person's life over here. I pray that this short sermon was able to help you at least, at least, to begin your own journey in pursuing the knowledge of God. A.W. Tozer says this, that um, the best thing about a person is what he knows about God. I might be misquoting him, but if I misquoted him, then Woodley said it. I'll take it. But my friends, let us pursue the knowledge of God. In our Christian journey, I, I, I pray that you really listen to this, because you will make so much more progress in your Christian journey through knowledge of God, through understanding who God is. As a result, my friends, you will be worshiping a God that you know. You won't be worshiping a God who's out there in the air, but you'll be worshiping a God that you know, and I pray intimately know. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, oh, I, I did not even begin to scratch the surface, Lord. I know it. I know it. I know each sermon, Lord, each, um, each topic, Lord, your aseity, the fact that you... Um, are self-existent. That could take a whole series, Lord. That could take four weeks, five weeks to talk about. Just one of your attributes, Lord, could, 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 help, could, could make us pursue you for eternity, O oh Lord. One of your attributes is enough to fill our minds for eternity, God. But 
Lord, I do pray that we will begin our journey of knowing you and loving you. Lord, do not that we won't reserve it for the theological heads, for those who are in seminary, but that we would reserve it for each Christian, that we all will pursue knowing you. I ask you this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.